When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and thank you for listening to the History of World War II podcast, episode 422, By the Skin of Her Teeth. As the sun began to set on August 14th, the men on the much-bedraggled Ohio rested, having gone through hell that day with numerous air attacks. But now, darkness was about to envelop them, and the 16 spitfires over their heads would see that nothing else happened until that sun set. The night was their friend, but so was movement, and they were still crawling ever closer to Grand Harbor, albeit at two knots. And as Ohio crawled, Rome and Berlin were celebrating. Why? Their victory over Pedestal. Think of it. Yes, three ships had gotten through, but many more did not, and Ohio was all but dead. The excess pilots just had to go through the motions. Radio Berlin declared, The fact that an extraordinary success has been achieved is beyond doubt. And Il Duce himself uttered the words, Britain has been forced to recognize our magnificent victory. Their ships now lie at the bottom of the sea. The good news for Ohio, though, besides the fact that she was still afloat and still moving, was that the 500-pound bomb that had detonated just behind her had ripped off her jammed rudder. Now she was a bit easier to control. And just before the sun set, the crew on and with the Ohio saw the stern cliffs of Malta. Everyone cheered. Even better for the escorts, soon the tugboat Robust showed up and started towing the Ohio by herself. Such is the power of these little ships. Now, technically, as the Robust skipper, J.P. Pilditch, was the official harbormaster of the king, he was now in charge of this operation. And he decided for himself that two knots would not do. So he sped up. And before anyone on the Penn, Brahmam, Rye, or Ohio could say, no, don't, stop, the ship's back end started turning to the left or port, and her nose started going to the right or starboard. This was bad, and it immediately got worse. The robust was, well, robust, but the Ohio was much heavier. Her altered course caused the robust to go out of control and she rammed right into the pen. At that very moment, the merchantmen's masters were enjoying a meal aboard the pen. Suddenly, the world sounded like it was coming to an end, what with the ship shaking and the sounds of metal being bent, even ripped, 
Clearly, the dinner was over. The men went to investigate and found that a part of the robust stern had been pushed into the wardroom of the pen, leaving her, the pen, with a 25-foot opening. Fortunately, it was above the waterline. Pilditch, the harbormaster, but probably perhaps not for long, was told to get the hell back to Malta. And not to add insult to injury, but Pilditch had been the commodore on Operation Harpoon just two months ago, where only two of the six ships from Gibraltar made it to Malta. And the cost had been to the Royal Navy, two destroyers lost, two light cruisers sunk, and many more ships damaged. As it was now dark, most of the gunners on the Ohio returned to the destroyers to get some sleep, but not Fred Larson. He sat in his Borfor seat and sang songs throughout the night. As the words were probably in Norwegian, they entertained the few people who were still near Fred. But then he would drift asleep, only to wake up startled, asking if the enemy was back. He would be told no, and then fall back to sleep, but only after a few minutes of humming. He was thinking of his wife and newborn son that he had not yet seen. Meanwhile, Captain Mason was still on the Ohio, but instead of going over what could be fixed, damned little at this point, he clearly had been drinking. For around 3 a.m., he walked to the broken deck of his ship, got to a point as close to the Brahmin as he could, and started yelling at Captain Baines, saying, You've taken my ship, or give me my ship back. And the truth was, it wasn't his ship anymore. He had no purpose, not at the moment, which is hard to take for a man used to work and leadership. The gunmen on night duty braced themselves, for Baines was known for using colorful language, and he had no problem yelling while using said language. But on this night, only silence followed Mason's outburst. Perhaps Captain Baines knew exactly how the man felt and just let it go. When Mason did not get a reply, he stumbled away, hopefully to sleep it off. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing is all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. It's important to put aside the entirety of World War II for just a moment 
and consider these precious few hours. Where the Mediterranean, and by extension North Africa, and by extension the Middle East, and by extension the oil that drove Churchill's war machines, hung in the balance of whether Ohio would make it. Just because stories have known outcomes, that does not mean that in the duration everyone involved didn't question was success possible. In other words, join Churchill as he battles Stalin, who was quite rough with him, while Churchill awaits word, any word, from Dudley Pound. If he gets good news, he can rub it in Stalin's face. But if he gets bad news, he'll have to live with that as well. And whatever Stalin decided to do that was best for his country, even if that was a separate peace with Hitler. The point is, during this moment, the fate of Ohio was still unknown, and thus Churchill had nothing to parry Stalin's harsh words. He just had to wait. Not that he was known for his patience. By now, Churchill had received from Pound a note that said nine of the freighters had been lost. The Prime Minister already knew of the success of the Port Chalmers, Rochester Castle, and Melbourne Star, and there was word of a fourth ship making it to Malta, which left the Ohio. Pound's message read, Determined efforts under heavy attack are being made to tow Oiler in. She should be approximately 40 miles from Malta at 4 p.m. today. So that was it. Churchill would just have to wait, just like everyone else. Who knew what would happen, but until he did know, the British Bulldog would have to continue to put up with the Russian bear. But it wouldn't be Churchill if he did not get in the last word. He replied to Pound to give him details when they were available and if the ships that survived were also successfully unloaded, for that was the whole point. And while the Prime Minister waited, he drank, but so did everyone else around Stalin. When he left the Kremlin party, most of the attendees were drunk, but not Churchill. He was a high-functioning alcoholic, so it didn't matter. But General Brooke nursed his drinks and was able to walk out under his own power when the party ended. He was very proud of that. And it was over. To Churchill's way of thinking, as he told his doctor, Sir Charles Wilson, I had had enough. I told Stalin goodbye instead of good night. And when he passed out at 3.45 a.m., the Prime Minister still did not know of the fate of Ohio. Again, he would have to wait. Back to the Mediterranean, in the early morning hours of August 15th, the men were asleep. It was almost complete quiet, except for the straining of the ropes and the waves lapping the various ships. Suddenly, powerful searchlights from Malta raked over them. The men on and around the Ohio would later learn that an Italian sub had been detected, and the searchlights were playing just behind the tanker, seeking it out. But what really set off the military people on Malta was an intercepted Italian message. It read, Surface and proceed at once, concentrating greatest maximum strength to search for damaged enemy units. The submarine Asteria was specifically signaled. At 35 miles, 205 degrees from Gonzo Lighthouse, proceeding toward Malta, a tanker under tow. Search and attack with utmost resolution. But what the radar, or whatever else was being used to find the Asteria, it was wrong. 
There was no sub right behind the Ohio. But what was clear, and loud, and vulgar, was Captain Baines, as he shouted at the lights. As one of his crew said, he could be heard in the still night, cursing the stupidity of the searchlight operators. We knew the enemy was lurking somewhere. The last thing we wanted was to be lit up as a sitting target. There are times when one's intention is not excusable, no matter how pure. But everyone's nerves were on edge, as they had to be asking themselves, are we going to make it? Is fate pulling another trick on us? How close can we get to Grand Harbor before we are finished off? And indeed, the crew of the minesweeper Hebe was seeing many things that were not there. Soon a shell was fired from the Hebe, and it landed near Fort Bengisha, on Malta's extreme southern end. The gun crews at the fort were about to reply in kind when frantic and repeated messages came in saying, don't shoot, that was one of ours, and we're sorry. Ironically, or not, as most of the day's first light began to show itself, the shore guns on Malta started going off as shadows in the waves or on the radar screen were supposedly found. They turned out to be ghosts as well. More than a few of these shells went right over the Ohio, as the gun crews believed they were scaring away or attacking a following sub or e-boat. But again, they were ghosts. But the men of this smaller convoy were safe at the moment, as during the night, an albacore and a swordfish, both with depth charges attached, had protected the wounded, half-dragged tanker ever east. They were joined by three Baltimores and a Wellington. And when light proper came, the bowfighters and spitfires would return. Now that Ohio had survived the night, along with every kind of hell that came before that, her next challenge was right in front of her. Given her damage and her extra weight of salt water, she couldn't really be steered, rather pushed or pulled in the right direction, and her damage on the sides and the front and the rear affected her moving through the water in any kind of controlled way, which was important, as the Ohio was about to be guided through the minefields that protected Grand Harbor. And given her gunwales or sides were only 18 inches above sea level, which meant waves could come over easily enough, and did, the rate of her sinking could increase at any moment, or she may simply snap in two. But somehow, in this state, she had to be towed slightly past the island and then turned to the northwest without breaking or going under. Here's how Captain Hill of the Leadbury described his actions. Took oiler in tow in order to get her straight for the channel. With the help of a motor launch pushing my bows, I managed to turn her 140 degrees in three hauls, turning her about 45 degrees each time. Now, the mines closest to Grand Harbor had been removed for Operation Pedestal, but there were still mines further out, between the island's southern coast and further south. But the path between them remained small. It had to. So everyone stopped breathing when a wind came along and pushed the Ohio stern to one side, ever closer to where the mines were. Fred Larson and Lonnie Dales stood up and watched, searching for the black spikes of the mines, as if knowing death was about to come could help in any way. Here's how Captain Hill described the process. 
The Ohio made several determined attempts to blow herself up on our minds. She would start turning, and the destroyers alongside her would pull her up. We would push her around, and off we went again. And then the entirety of the experience thus far got to Captain Hill. He wrote, At daybreak, I walked around the upper deck. The sleeping bodies of the sailors lay sprawled and hunched in their duffel coats. Their friends' legs or backs made pillows. Through the growth of beard and sunburn, their faces looked so young and peaceful. I felt a great surge of affection and pride for what they had achieved, and deep gratitude that we had come through it all without a casualty. With full daylight, the tug robust, along with several others, came out again to keep the tanker moving. Overhead, the Spitfires flew in a number eight pattern, just in case the brave German or crazy Italian pilots decided one last try. When the Admiralty was told that a last-minute attack did not seem likely, it responded, Seems probable Axis Air Forces have suffered such heavy casualties, unable to stage or unprepared to risk full-scale attack. Likely, but a crewman was probably closer to the mark when he said, I think myself that we had enough. And so obviously the Jerry's had enough too. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Back to Captain Hill, here was a view that he would never forget. He wrote, The great ramparts and battlements of Malta, built against the siege by the Turks, were lined in black with people, thousands and thousands of cheering people, on the ramparts, on the foreshore, on the rooftops, the roads, paths, and at every window. Everywhere bands were playing, bands of all the services, and Maltese bands. The uneven thumps of the drums and crash of cymbals echoed back against the great walls. It was Saturday morning. Years and years ago, we had left Gibraltar, and that was last Sunday morning. It did not make sense, but all this had taken only a week. And so, slowly, the tugs moved the behemoth further along, ever closer to her resting position. And sitting on his gun instead of using it, Fred Larson took in this moment that seemed to be years in the making. When we came into the entrance of Valletta Harbor, we were saluted like a returning victorious Navy ship. Crowds of people were shouting from the breakwater. The people turned too. They were down on the points with bands and ovations of all kinds, singing and shouting and screaming and playing bands. And it was quite a thrill coming in. I was sitting on top of that gun with some of the volunteers on the gun. There were no more attacks because by now the Spitfires were up there and they were shooting down anything that was coming round. Then the tugboats from Malta came out and they took over the tow of the Ohio and they drove her to the dock. Her decks were practically awash by now. We were greeted and saluted as a full Navy ship. It was a proud moment. Lonnie Dales was equally moved. 
He wrote, Thousands of people were standing on the batteries, cheering and singing. There were military bands playing, and they were playing the Star-Spangled Banner for us. When the exhausted crew, such as it was, disembarked from the Ohio, there, at the end, was Captain Mason, now more sober than before. When each man departed, whether they had been a member of the original crew or not, Mason said the same thing to every man. Thanks very much for coming on. But it wasn't just having Ohio come slowly into Grand Harbor with her contents that caused the people to line up along the way. It was also the Feast of St. Mary, the celebration of the Assumption of Our Lady into Heaven. And there was much to celebrate, whether the men of Pedestal were helped by a higher power or not. Admiral Latham on Malta added his two cents. Even though Ledbury was leading her, the passage of Ohio through Tunisian waters at high speed, without a compass, with extensive damage to the ship and in-hand steering, was a remarkable feat of seamanship and tenacity on the part of Captain Mason and his officers and crew. The towage of this unwieldy ship for a distance of nearly 100 miles from a position in sight of an Italian island and within easy range of her aerodromes was a feat of seamanship, courage, and endurance of the highest order. To this, Admiral Seifert responded, Thank you very much. Though we should feel better if our losses had been lighter and we had got more ships through to Malta. True enough, but a miracle had just taken place, or rather was just completed, and now it had a bow tie on top. Governor Lord Gort took the destroyer captains to lunch the next day, and given the lack of everything on the island, they shared vegetarian omelets. But it was over the altered eggs that Gort said, if the Ohio had not gotten through, then Malta would have had to surrender in 16 days' time. But now, the fight, the struggle, the resistance could continue. But more than continue, it would be sustained. The ships, subs, and planes based on Malta had a new lease on life, and the men involved with these machines of war were eager to get back to pushing Rommel around and pushing the Italian fleet all over the Mediterranean. But this news also sustained Churchill. In Moscow, Churchill was asking the Soviet leader if his forces would be able to keep the Germans and their allies at the Caucasus Mountains so they would not be able to go further south and take the oil that was in Turkey, Persia, and Iraq. And if one remembers the opening hours of Operation Barbarossa, where Stalin was so stunned by the invasion that Molotov, his foreign minister, had to be the one to read the leader's response to the war on the radio, then Stalin's answer now is one for the history books. For Churchill wrote that Stalin spread out the map and then said with quiet confidence, we shall stop them. They will not cross the mountains. In a way, this was Stalin saying, I can handle my business. Can you handle yours? So the conversation continued until Stalin purposefully brought up the disastrous PQ-17 convoy that ended in defeat, death, and shame. Stalin ended this diatribe with, Has the British Navy no sense of glory? Now, Stalin knew, and the same was true of President Roosevelt, that the Prime Minister loved his country's Navy. And so this 
was a double barb. But Churchill wasn't going to rise to the bait. He would have done that already. No, time was on his side. Every minute that he was not informed that the Ohio had finally broken in two or sunk, all things were possible. And then the very opposite of that message came in. Churchill read it, squared his shoulders, and stood up to Stalin. And as all bullies secretly love it when someone stands up to them, the Russian leader changed his tone with the British Prime Minister, and their personal relationship would soon become official, and it would be joined by the United States. The Allies would soon become the Allies. The Three would soon become the Big Three. In fact, both men went back to Stalin's place and drank, and drank, and drank. Oh, they ate at 1 a.m. when Stalin normally took his dinner. Each and every night of the war, he would go to sleep at 5 a.m., wake up at 10 a.m., and then get back to his maps and desk. Churchill was not the only one trying to stop his nation from going under. Churchill later wrote, I was taken into the family. We ended friends. It was true that an argument broke out later, but it was a very friendly argument. A few hours later, but before the sun was up, Churchill was being driven to his Liberator bomber to fly him to Cairo. He wanted to hear all about Pedestal from Lord Gort. And once in the air, Churchill began to write a note to FDR, which ended with, Everything for us now turns on hastening Torch and defeating Rommel. But the Ohio and her oil wasn't safe just yet. For the Germans would return for one last chance at denying their enemy the means to fight back. Also, Fred Larson would find out that his life was not safe either, as the Maltese thought he was a German prisoner. And despite being Catholics, they knew how to deal with the enemy. Call it the Old Testament treatment. Greetings, everyone, from Central Virginia. So just a real quick thanks to my members uh, and those who have donated. And you've probably noticed that I'm trying to get out the episodes uh more frequently than I have been. That's something I'm trying to do. So instead of waiting once a week, which I know a lot can happen in a week and you forget what happens. So I'm trying to condense these a little bit. So hopefully it works and and, and, and you appreciate it. So as far as the members, uh, Sean Etheridge from Youngsville, North Carolina joined. Thank you very much, Sean. And as far as those who have made donations, let's see here, Patrick Boosie and Thomas is that Stokel? I'm not sure how to say it. Thomas, I apologize. But anyway, thank you very much uh, for uh, the donation. It really does help. And thank you to everybody. And we'll be back soon with the last episode of Operation Pedestal. Take care, everyone.